0: Hi, this is mark i'm one of the senior pastors from hope church malmsbury i want to personally thank you for downloading or listening online to this sermon cast from hope church we we share these messages because they really spoke to us we value their their content and uh, the anointing that's upon them and i pray that they bring a fresh revelation of god's love for you today and if you're able to support the work of hope church and the cost of sharing these messages online then you can go to our website www.thehope.church give and follow the instructions on that page. And if you're ever in are on a Sunday morning, you will always receive a very warm welcome at Hope Church. And now, let's join today's message. Good morning and welcome to Hope Online. My name is Mark, I'm one of the lead pastors here. You're very welcome, so glad you could join us this morning. Please say hello in the chat if you haven't done so already and let us know where you're watching from this morning, especially if you're a visitor. Well, as you can see, I'm up here. In the International Space Station, we're continuing our series, The Promise and The Purpose. Why am I up in space? Because I'm closer to heaven. (laughs) I'll explain why in a little while. I I don't know if you've learned any new skills during lockdown. I've kind of got into cooking and I've discovered that I love having little gadgets that make life in the kitchen easier. Now, my latest is an antique herb measuring spoon. It ensures you have exactly the right measurement of herbs for every recipe. No time wasters. It's in mint condition. I'm sorry about all these puns. (laughs) Well, today is Easter Sunday, and I've got a brilliant message. It certainly blessed me. I hope it's going to bless you. And It's about someone who's described in the Bible as a special one and only son. We know a fair bit about his birth, but just a single story in the Bible describes his childhood. And then there's this big gap, and he doesn't return to the biblical narrative until he's an adult, and we find him walking in the countryside praying. He's described as someone who's been loved by his father and yet he's offered as a sacrifice on a hill outside of Jerusalem and then he's raised from the dead. So in case you haven't worked it out yet on this special Easter Sunday morning, today's message is of course all about Isaac. Isaac, that's right. Isaac, the son of Abraham, the father of Jacob, the ancient paternal grandfather of Jesus himself. So we're continuing our slow walk through the Gospel of Luke and we're working our way through the family tree of Jesus. Last week Lydia shared a really powerful message all about Jacob and this week we turn to his father, a man called Isaac. And the parallels between the story of Isaac and Jesus are really quite amazing. I'm going to be drawing some of those out for you today. Isaac is what theologians call a type or a prophetic shadow or foreshadowing of Jesus. Yeah, knowing about the story of Isaac helped the early church understand and make sense of the story of Jesus. And the same is true for us today. And these prophetic types, they tend to only make sense or certainly make the most sense when you look back at them. Yeah, And it helps you make sense of things that happen later. Have you ever had moments in your life when, when things made no sense at the time? As you were going through those situations you really didn't understand what was going on or what God was doing, or even if he was involved at all. But when you look back, when you look back from a different perspective in time and history, then you can clearly see what God is doing at the time and what he has done in your life through those situations, through those people, through those experiences. I can certainly think of you know, jobs I've had, people I've worked for, people I've worked with that at the time... You know, they were hard, they weren't pleasant to live through and go through. But looking back at them now, I can see how I grew, how I learnt through those situations. And I'm a better, stronger person because of them today. So it's with hindsight, when we look back, then we see God's purpose and it becomes clearer to us in those situations that we live through. So today I want to take a few minutes to look at the story of Isaac yeah, and through his life we can understand and make more sense of the life of Jesus and of Easter itself. And our story of Isaac starts here in the International Space Station. Well sort of actually because we start with NASA okay and NASA is the Hebrew word for a test. So turn with me in your Bibles, flip open your uh, apps, click the buttons on your phones and turn to Genesis chapter 22 verse 1 and it goes like this. Sometime later God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. So here we have this word, "Nasa." God tested Abraham's faith. God, Nasa, Abraham's faith. Now, some people love exams and quizzes and tests and I'll pray for your deliverance later because I, I hate tests. I hate revising. I don't understand at all those teenagers who were upset last year when they were told they didn't have to sit their A-levels. I hate the stress of a test. I hate having to memorise things. So I've, got, I've got very mixed feelings about the fact that I've got 1,600 pages of textbooks to memorise before an exam that I'm sitting at the end of May. All sane, reasonable people hate tests. And so when we think of the idea that God might test us, it often doesn't sit very comfortably, right? So why does God test us sometimes? Is it to find something out about us? Well, I don't think so, because God is in fact all-knowing. So He dwells outside of time. He knows whether or not we would pass the test before we even sit it, before we even take it. So God doesn't need to test us in order to teach God things about us. He doesn't need to find out how we would do in the test. God doesn't test people in order to learn something about that person. But the point of tests is to reveal something, is is to find out an answer. So if God already knows the answer, who is the person who learns something from the test? It's not God. It's us. If if God tests me, it's me who learns something through the test, not, not God. And this is God's purpose in testing us so that we learn something. It's not about proving anything to God. And the Bible explains that God tests us for our own good because we're better off having gone through and because of what we learned in the test. In Deuteronomy, Moses is talking to the people of Israel gathered in uh, chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, and he says, he's kind of reminding them, you know, of their kind of national history. And he talks about how that God fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food that was unknown to ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. You see, when God Tests us when God puts a test in front of us. Actually, what He does normally is He's just presenting us with a choice, an opportunity, even an opportunity to to see God move, an opportunity to grow our faith, an opportunity to see something amazing when God steps into our life. And the test for us is: Well, what will we choose when faced that situation? For Abraham, it was impossible to see how God would be able to keep his promise to give Abraham a family through Isaac if if Isaac was dead. It made no sense at a human level. And that could be where we get stuck. Just because we can't see our way through a situation, if we can't see why or how what God is saying could possibly make sense, well, that's kind of the test. Will we do it anyway? Do we do what we know God to be saying even though it makes no sense to us at a human level to our limited minds or limited intellects? I mean it it makes no sense to say oh well you can eat from any tree in the garden um, except one. Surely knowledge is a good thing. We should try the the fruit from that tree said Eve. Here Adam you take a bite. It makes no sense to, to walk away from a, a, a romantic relationship because, well, well then I'd, I'd be alone and, and, and I want to have someone to love. But if God has told you to end it because it's not healthy, then that for you is the test. What will you do if you know that God has said to bring it to an end? and it might be a job or or a hobby or an attitude that you hold or a friendship or a a business opportunity even and at at first perhaps you thought it had come from God you thought it was an answer to prayer but now you can't get away from the fact that God is saying in your spirit he's telling you to to end it to get away to to stop Perhaps the, the choice that lays before you is, it's not about stopping something, but it's about starting something, about like picking it up, not laying it down. Maybe it, it's about the way that you spend your time or your money or use your expertise. What will you do? You know, the test is almost always a choice. What will you do? Do it or don't? To take a step of faith or to trust in purely human reasoning? Although actually, if I'm honest, thinking about it, the choices that we make is often, that's often the second test. The first test is just hearing from God in the first place. Yeah, Abraham did not have his own crazy idea to take eyes above a mountain and then call on God to, to sort out what to do. Yeah, God told him clearly what was going on. So what I'm saying is don't go giving up your job just because you're you're lazy or you don't enjoy it and then try to claim that you did it for God and he should somehow fix it for you. You know, pay you to sit at home and watch God TV all day long. Don't go walking out of your marriage and inventing your own story about why God was telling you to do it or you did it for God. And so now he needs to sort it out and find you a new partner. We're all really good at messing up and doing our own crazy things. And then after the fact, spinning ourselves a little story about how somehow we actually did it for God. And now he ought to step in and sort out the mess. I mean, I can't be the only person who's ever, ever done that, surely. What I'm talking about here is, is is when you actually hear from God, when you read something in the Bible that is totally clear, and then choosing to do what he says or not. Abraham heard from God. He was obedient. So let's go back to the story of Isaac. Genesis 22, verse 1. Some time later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Uh, I mean, stood here in the 21st century, it seems impossible that Abraham would willingly kind of go and sacrifice his own son. I mean just just imagine I mean, imagine with me on this Easter Sunday morning, imagine a father willing to give up the life of his beloved son. but this is how much God loves us, that He gave his son Jesus willingly willingly as a sacrifice to pay the price for our sin upon the cross, the cross that was on a hill called Calvary, outside of Jerusalem. And and God told Abraham to go to the land of Moriah, which is where King David would buy the land where he built, or his son built the first temple to Yahweh, on a hill in Jerusalem. But there is something odd. I don't know if you noticed it, you Bible scholars out there amongst you. Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Yet God said very clearly, take your only son, Isaac. So so what's going on with that? And the book of Hebrews says a similar thing. It kind of repeats this thing. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. It says, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. There he is again, only son, but Isaac and Ishmael. So the Greek word that's translated as only, as it is in only son, is monogenes, monogenes. And that word turns up elsewhere in the the New Testament as well, particularly in John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. For this is how much God loved the world, that he gave his one and only his monogenes son. What does monogenes mean? Monogenes means one of a kind. Yeah, one of a kind. So the Bible refers to spiritual beings, to angels, as the sons of God. But they're not sons like Jesus is the son. I, I'm adopted into God's family. That's what it means to be a Christian. Yeah, he is my father in heaven. That's the prayer that Jesus taught us to it. Our father in heaven. So if he's my father, then I must be his son. But I'm not a son like Jesus is the son. So when the Bible says that Jesus is the only son of God, it doesn't mean that there are literally no other sons of God. Hello, I'm here, I'm one. But it means that Jesus is the one of a kind son of God, a unique kind of son, the monogenes. And Isaac is the one of a kind son of Abraham. He's his monogenes. There is no one else like him. Isaac was the son of the promise. God said that he would fulfil his covenant promise to make Abraham's descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky through Isaac, not through Ishmael or anyone else. Isaac, he was the one of a kind son. And the writer to the Hebrews is making this connection and then he's saying, look at the story of Isaac and it will help you understand the story of Jesus, the one of a kind son. That's how they're both described. So back to to Isaac's story in Genesis 22. So the next morning, Abraham got up early and he saddled his donkey and he took two of his servants with him and along with his son Isaac. And then he chopped some wood for a fire for a burnt offering. And they set out for a place that God had told him about. And on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servant. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. And while he himself carried the fire and the knife and the two of them walked on, Together. Right, so three thing, three things really jump out of this passage um, as I was reading it. First of all, the donkey, right? It was saddled. So who was riding it? Was it was it Isaac? Was Isaac riding on a donkey towards his own death as a sacrifice? Riding a donkey towards the hill where the temple in Jerusalem would one day be built. Just like last week, Jesus rode into a donkey into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Right? Amazing. And secondly, Abraham, he said to the servants, wait here, the boy and I are going to go up ahead and we will both be back. Even though God had told Abraham to take Isaac up the mountain, and sacrifice him, Isaac, Abraham is saying to the servants, well, no, we're both coming back down the mountain. Yeah, Abraham didn't know how things were going to play out, but he had faith in God to be obedient anyway, even when he didn't understand what was going on, and trusted that God would still fulfil his promise that Isaac would grow up to father a nation. And then, that I only noticed uh, this for the first time as I was reading uh, this week, yeah Abraham had these logs of wood cut for the burnt offering and he placed the logs of wood over the shoulders of Isaac for him to carry the wood up the hill like Jesus was forced to carry his cross on his shoulders to the place of execution you know before Simon of Cyrene was pulled out of the crowd and forced to to carry it because Jesus had become too weak to carry it any further but the parallels here are just amazing right riding on the donkey towards that hill outside jerusalem carrying the wood upon his shoulders the instrument of his death and yet faith that this would not be the end of the story abraham and isaac they're struggling up this hill there's an old man and a young man who's weighed down by the wood across his shoulders and Isaac says um dad we've got the word and you've got the fire but where's the sacrifice and Abraham says don't worry about it God will provide a sheep for the offering yeah so we can kind of see maybe Abraham starting to imagine how God might solve this conundrum yeah, Isaac he's not a toddler, right? He's big enough and strong enough to be carrying the wood. Now, the, the Bible doesn't say what Abraham said to Isaac as he built the altar and piled the wood upon the top and then got Isaac to lay down on top of the wood on the altar and picked up the knife. Now old Abraham wouldn't have been able to force Isaac to do this unless Isaac complied and was willing and an obedient sacrifice trusting that God would make a way forward for them all and then the angel of the Lord turns up verse 11 at that moment the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven he says Abraham Abraham yes Abraham replied here I am thank goodness (laughs) don't lay a hand on the boy the angel said do not hurt him in any way for now I know that you truly fear God. You've not withheld from me even your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. And he took the ram and sacrificed, as a burnt offering, the place of his son. And so we have this dramatic substitution of the sacrifice. Isaac is spared and the ram is sacrificed in his place. Or as the book of Hebrews puts it, it's like Isaac came back to life. Hebrews 11 17. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham who had received God's promise was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac even though God had told him Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died God was able to bring him back to life again and in a sense Abraham did receive his son back from the dead and on the cross at Easter there was another dramatic substitution of the sacrifice the one who had never sinned the perfect one-of-a-kind son of God Jesus Christ pays the price for our sin through his death in 2 Corinthians 5 it says this for God made Christ who had never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Abraham and Isaac faced a test, a Nasser from God, and they and they passed. Learning for themselves that God can be trusted to provide a way where there seems to be no way. Learning that God keeps his promises. Lessons that Isaac would rely on as he grew up and gets married and has his own family and sees God's promises coming to pass, not only fathering a nation through his family, but the whole world would end up being blessed through his family line, because from Isaac's family line is born Jesus Christ, the one of a kind son of God. Jesus who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Jesus who carried the wooden cross towards his own death. Jesus who died on a hill outside Jerusalem. Jesus who was the dramatic substitution, the innocent choosing to die in place of the guilty. Jesus who rose from death on that first Easter Sunday morning. Jesus, the one of a kind son of God. And Jesus wants you to choose him as your saviour, to accept his forgiveness and be welcomed into God's Family to be adopted in, as I was saying earlier, and there is no better day than today to choose life, to choose to follow Jesus, to have your sins forgiven, and to be adopted into God's family. You can do it right now, just pray this prayer with me that comes up on the screen. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for me. Come into my heart, forgive me of my sin, make me right in God's sight. Wash me and cleanse me and set me free. Fill me with your Holy Spirit to help me live out your good plans for me. I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm forgiven. And I'm on my way to heaven because I've got Jesus in my heart. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer with me today for the first time or as a prayer of recommitment, please click that button on the screen right now just to raise your hand and let us know. And if you'd like to chat, with a member of our team, just click that request prayer button. It'll open a little private chat window and we'd love to catch up with you. If there is a NASA in your life right now, if there is a test, if there is a choice that you need to make, perhaps you've been putting it off, hoping to ignore it. Maybe if you ignore it for long enough, it will go away or or, or solve itself. It might feel scary to take that step of faith that step of obedience but it's only when you do that that you actually find out that god is truly there and he's working out his purposes in and through your life now it was by faith that abraham offered isaac as a sacrifice when god was testing him abraham who had received god's promises and was ready to sacrifice his only son isaac you know, the New Testament, which is written in, in Greek, the words translated there for, for testing is perazo or yeah, you know, a test. And If you've been watching Words of Hope with uh, the ladies on Tuesday mornings, you might recognise that word from the Bible study they've been doing recently at the start of the book of James. It goes like this, James 1. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. This word troubles in the ESV is translated as testing of your faith, but it's this same word, prasmos. Why is a test an opportunity for great joy? Because it's when you make that choice to trust God, then you have the joy of seeing God at work in your life as he honours his word, as he keeps his promises to you. Don't run away from the test. Instead, embrace the promises through the test. Through making the choice to trust God, your faith will grow. And with each test, with each choice, your faith gets stronger and stronger. And then the Bible says you'll become perfect and complete. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, James says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect to complete, needing nothing. Now, maybe some of you are sat there right now thinking, well, oh, I'm perfect already. Perhaps you're in a room with someone who thinks that they're perfect already. Yeah, well, the Sermon on Humility is another week. But said, don't ignore the test. Don't run from the test. Don't, you know, God does not put tests before us in order to be mean, to be vindictive, because he wants to make our life hard, he puts these choices before us to give us the opportunity to choose to partner with him, to choose faith, to choose hope, to choose to see God at work in our lives, because it's faith that activates the promises of God. So whatever choice, whatever test lies before you in this coming season of your life, know that through it, God's purpose is to bless you to do you good in the end, to grow your faith, and his promises to be with you even until the end of the age.